This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. For those seeking genuine transformation, SoundsTrue.com is your trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. Many voices, one journey. SoundsTrue.com. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, I speak with Ken Cohen. Ken is a renowned Qigong master, health educator, and winner of the Lifetime Achievement Award in Energy Medicine. He is a dynamic and energetic teacher with over 40 years of practice in the art of Qigong and Tai Chi. In addition, he's the author of 12 Sounds True titles, including The Essential Qigong Training Course and the video Qi Healing. Ken and I spoke about the origins of Qigong, how to manage our health by tuning our body, breath, and mind, and how to cope with stress through the regular practice of Qigong. Welcome, Ken, to Insights at the Edge. Thank you. It's good to be here. Here we are in the Sounds True studio in Boulder, face-to-face. And to begin with, Ken Cohen, the Qigong master. People, I think, maybe know, think they know what Qigong is. Oh, that's something kind of like Tai Chi, right? You do a bunch of... What is Qigong? Uh, Let's backtrack a little bit. I don't like titles very much. I'll accept them. But the word that's often translated as master, actually in Chinese is lao shi. Lao shi just means teacher or professor. So Okay, just, the, the Qigong professor. Uh, uh, Qigong teacher. You can call me Qigong master just okay. with, with that uh, ex- explanation. Okay, fair uh, enough. So the question is, what is Qigong? Yeah. So Qi means uh, life breath, life force. It's the, uh, the energy of life and being. It's not only within the human body, but... If you see a beautiful sunset, you can say this chi in that sunset. If you read a great poem, see a work of art. So it's that, it's that essence of life. Gong means uh, skill. So qigong is the skill of refining and nurturing the life force primarily to improve health. The reason I say primarily is that most people who study qigong, they learn it as a series of exercises and meditations for health. However... If you're involved in sports, I mean, whether it's Chinese martial arts or tennis or swimming or golf or anything else, you can use Qigong to improve your performance by increasing strength, flexibility, stamina, sensitivity, coordination, all the different skills that we need for sports performance. And many people study Qigong because of the, what could be called spiritual effect. Mm -hmm. That is, it creates a quiet, tranquil, alert mind. So it's, of course, linked with Buddhism and Taoism, but you don't have to be Buddhist or Taoist to practice Qigong. It's really just for mental quiet and peace, great way to relieve stress. So to put it simply, Qigong is energy cultivation, energy skill. It's ancient Chinese exercises and meditations to cleanse the life force of any toxins, to get it moving and circulating, to build up a, a reserve of healing power both for your own self-healing and for resilience after times of stress. And you can practice it for sports and as a spiritual cultivation. Okay, and just laying out the basics here, what's the relationship between Tai Chi and Qigong? 
what most people call Tai Chi, which is actually pronounced Tai Ji, because the word Chi is not in the title for this exercise. Okay. Tai Ji, Tai Ji Chuan, is a more complex choreography. It is a style of Qigong, insofar as Tai Ji is a healing exercise. Tai Ji is also a martial art. But Tai Ji is a relatively recent style of Qigong that focuses okay. on overall health, but that has a rather complex series of movements, so there's much more memory and learning involved. Whereas Qigong are like these little sound bites, so you can learn a simple exercise to improve organ function, to improve sl and slow down your breathing, deepen the breath, to increase strength. You can l learn these kinds of styles of Qigong in a relatively short period of time. But as with anything, as for instance music, you learn a musical scale, but if you play the violin, it takes so long to develop a perfect note. It's the same thing with Qigong. The exercises are relatively easy to learn compared to Tai Chi, but the emphasis is more on quality than quantity, mm -hmm. and to explore the depth of what it means to breathe, to stand, to sit, to lie down, to walk, that could take a lifetime, right? We're never, we're never done with that process. Even something as simple as standing, there's always a way to improve our function. For example, I mean, I mean just give you one example out of, out of so many. Sure. We're, we're in a lock knee culture where people tend to stand. Let's say you're waiting in line for a movie ticket or you have a job where you're standing up. If you're standing with knees locked, then you're freezing up the muscles in the lower spine. And then every action, even the act of walking, will tend to jar the lower back. And a lot of our lower back pain is because of problems with locking the knees because knees are your shock absorbers. You want them to be working. If they're going to work, you've got to create joint space, space in the knee joint by keeping the knees bent. So there are these little reminders about things we do in everyday life all the time within Qigong so that we can learn how to improve them. That is, improve our functioning, have more energy, have more joy of life. You know, something I realized recently, Tammy, was that in looking at the different books and literature, different things out there about, uh, about Qigong, yeah. there's something that's so obvious that I try to emphasize in my Sounds True programs and in my, in my teaching and my work, that is even more, much more important than developing energy, than refining qi, is appreciating life. Joy of life is a big part of it. I mean, if you're just going to do this because you have this morbid fascination with your body and your health, and you become obsessive about it, you're going to shorten your life instead of lengthen it. You're going to create a new kind of stress. So I think we need to emphasize, and I try to emphasize, Qigong as a way of, of having more enjoyment for just everyday things. You know, not just how your body functions, mm -hmm. but your relationships with other people, with your enjoyment of nature. These kind of everyday things. There's a saying from a very famous Qigong master, someone I greatly admire, named Wang Xiangjai. He passed on in 1963. I worked with one of his students. He said, Ping Chang Ji Shi Fei Chang. The ordinary is the extraordinary. That is, if we learn how to be truly attentive so that we don't have our mind doing one thing while our body is doing something else, and maybe part of our body is going backwards while another part of our body is going forwards, we're disintegrated. Yeah? If instead we could be so well organized that our mind and body fully participate in everything that we're doing, then we are revealing at each moment the mystery dimension of everyday life. Yeah. Then the ordinary is the extraordinary. I think that's, that's the kind of wisdom tradition, you know, the inner heart of Qigong that people often miss because of their fascination only with, with the exercises, which are beautiful, they're wonderful, they're fun. But 
there's another message that is revealing beauty in the everyday. Now, you mentioned standing, sitting, lying down. Now, isn't it intuitively obvious how to do these things? I mean, we are humans after all, right? Don't I, do I need to learn a bunch of exercises so I can well, learn how to stand? Maybe, you need to, maybe people need to unlearn. Uh-huh. It might not be a matter of learning. It might be a matter of unlearning bad habits that tend to result from the kind of world that we're in today, where we're in a very sedentary culture, where people's minds are racing like a video game or a TV set that they've forgotten how to turn off. I can some, confirm that. Or, yeah, what some people call the monkey mind. It's, it's a common problem for so many people. So I think it's a matter of unlearning those aspects of disorganized or inefficient use of the body that are a result, also bad role models. I mean, how, how many of us have been exposed to people who are truly healthy, happy, comfortable in their bodies and used to using their bodies as part of their everyday life rather than just sitting in front of a computer screen? So, I mean, you're right and not right. That is, yes, sitting, standing, lying down, walking. Of course, these are entirely natural. Why do we need to learn that? We do it already. Well, I would say that if we could go back in time a thousand years and live the way our ancestors lived in nature, where it was required, for example, to have knees bent because you want to sense the ground under your feet so you don't step on a branch and scare away the prey that's going to be your food for the next week. See, if we could go back in time to the period when, when we did not interfere so much with what is given to us, our bodies and our minds, then we wouldn't need to learn. But, but yet, today we need to unlearn and learn. But yet Qigong was developed in an indigenous cultural context. So why was it developed if people were living not as sedentary lives, not in front of computers? Uh, actually, in China, I, I hate to destroy a stereotype. That's okay. I want you to destroy. Okay. You know, I mean, I know just a little bit about a lot of so many think, different things. Oh, the can. mystical Chinese yeah, or the mystical people of Asia, they were peaceful all the time yeah. and they were just living in the natural world, writing. Everybody was writing poetry and so on and so forth. But in fact, I mean, look at the, the period where Qigong really kind of took off. That is from, I would say, from around the Han Dynasty, 2nd century AD through, through fairly recent times. A lot of Chinese people were separated from nature and working in office jobs. I mean, not in front of a computer, of course, but the only way you could advance in Chinese society was through a series of civil service exams, and that would lift you out of poverty. You'd be able to better provide for your family. So because there was such a large portion of the Chinese population that, in fact, were sedentary, and because the human body is the same whether you go back a thousand years or now. I mean, it's basically the same biology, even though we have new diseases we face. There was a concern with how to relieve human suffering and how to live with more grace, more dignity, more internal strength, how to resist stress. People had stresses, whether the stress was because you might be attacked by a saber-toothed tiger or the stress is that you're worried about a family member who's ill or you're worried about taxes or finances today. People have always had stress. It's, it's something that's just basic to human nature. And I think Qigong was developed as a way of relieving stress in whatever way it came. And, of course, it was part of Chinese medicine as well. That is, people could go to, well, let's, let's say you're ill, whatever, whatever kind of illness. You can go to an acupuncturist who will insert a needle in a point that acts like a dam in the river of qi, the river of life force. 
So when you put the needle in the correct point or points, that blockage is dissolved and the chi flow becomes even. The basic understanding is that if you have too much energy, too much chi in one part of the body, mm -hmm. there's a tendency towards excess inflammation, uh, autoimmune diseases. If there's too little chi, too little energy, then of course there's a tendency towards weakness, depletion, maybe poor circulation, cold hands and feet, uh, immune deficiency diseases such as cancer from, again, Chinese medical viewpoint, that's depletion of chi. So if you dissolve the blockage by putting in that acupuncture needle, then the balance presumably is restored. So the area that had too much energy is drained out. The area that had too little energy is filled up. So acupuncture is very old. It goes back over, well over 2,000, well over 3,000 years. Qigong is equally old, equally ancient. In Qigong, instead of, or in addition to going to the acupuncturist, you learn how to regulate your body's own energy. That is, what kind of practices can I do? What kind of specific exercises, breathing techniques, maybe even sound, use of sound to stimulate the internal organs? What can I do to better manage my own health? That's a natural human concern. It was as important 2,000 years ago as it is today because people always want to live better. Mm -hmm. Now, just to clarify whatever romantic notions I have of Taoist sages and caves someplace, can you help me understand what are the origins of Qigong? Can we trace it to a specific person or group N of people? Not or? one specific person because there, there are several streams, you could say, that create this modern river of, of Qigong. And yeah. Qigong itself is not one thing. In addition, it's important for people to realize that there are many different styles of Qigong, and you're not expected to learn all of them. You find out a few methods that that work. I mean, basically, in in uh, uh, putting together the programs for Sounds True, whether yeah. it's the Essential Qigong Training Course, or the various DVDs, the CDs, I was trying to think, in with with the general public, what would be most effective for them what styles of Qigong could mm -hmm. they learn effectively from these kind of media? Yeah. And that would really help improve their, their uh, the quality of life. So origins of Qigong, there are several. Probably the earliest, actually, I would say, is uh, what most people would call shamanism. Hmm. In Chinese, it's pronounced wu, W-U. And there was, uh, and still is, an indigenous form of Chinese spirituality very similar to shamanism worldwide. By shamanism, I mean an attempt to contact the transpersonal and spiritual realm. Sometimes the spiritual is indwelling. It's not just other. To contact that realm directly. By directly, I mean through your sensitivities, your intuition, your dreams. Yeah. Rather than going through a church yeah. or a priest or some form or a book or yeah. some form of intermediary. So shamanism in that sense has many similarities to Native American, uh, African indigenous uh, traditions and so forth. There's definitely a shamanic element in Qigong. And we know that, I don't want to burden you now with you know, all the fine details, yeah. but just one example of how we know that, if you look at ancient Chinese rock art, pictographs and petroglyphs, you can see representations engraved by Chinese tribal people of mm. Qigong-like postures. Maybe they were done as part of dance. Maybe you imitated an animal and realized over time that, hey, by imitating the crane, 
I can develop more grace, relaxation, and balance. Or by imitating the bear and dancing like the bear in my tribal ceremony, I can develop more strength, maybe even more courage, more confidence in being who I am. So there's what could be called the shamanic root of Qigong. And then, as you mentioned, Taoism. Taoism is the original kind of pan-Chinese form of spirituality. That is, it didn't belong to some specific tribal group, but it became one of the earliest spiritual and religious traditions of ancient China. It began around 3rd or 4th century BC with the philosopher Lao Tzu, whose name means the old child. What a great, what a great name. And uh, it still exists today. Taoism is a little bit hard to define. I mean, this is why I wanted to do that four CD set with yeah. uh, what sounds true. But Taoism, you could say, is the search for the Tao, not only philosophically, but through practices such as meditations. By the Tao, I mean harmony with nature. Nature being nature outside of you and also your own inner nature. Yeah. So how to understand that more deeply, how to live in greater harmony and balance. Taoism was very concerned with the qi, with the life force. They, the Taoists helped develop many of the qigong exercises and also qigong-related arts. For example, if you do a Chinese calligraphy or if you do a painting, any, any kind of painting, with a sense of centeredness, quiet breathing, good posture, clear mind, of course your art is going to be more beautiful, more expressive. There's less blockages to the creative impulse. So Taoists were also very much involved with not only philosophy and qigong, but how you could apply the concept of qi, of life force, to the various arts, including cuisine, cooking, mm -hmm. and what kinds of food contribute to health. So we've got indigenous tradition, or shamanism, Taoism, Chinese medicine, as I already explained, how to dissolve blockages in qi so it flows more easily, so you're in better health yeah. and more resilient. And then finally, China has always been fascinated by the martial arts. It's just the national sport. I like to tell my students if qigong had developed in the U.S., we would have had baseball qigong and golf gong. Uh -huh. Don't you think? But in China, because everyone has always loved the martial arts, so naturally, they were looking for ways to improve your strength and performance, whether you're practicing it as a kind of energy play, as a sport, which is the way I, I've always practiced it, or in the old days, if you really needed it for self-defense. I, I will not attack you. Don't worry, right. Ken. Don't worry. We so, don't need to test that okay, part good, of it. Yeah, good. good. I prefer, prefer right. not to. Right. We're friends, after we're, all. Exactly. So although martial arts, they say the highest skill is turn your enemy into a friend that actually, even in the martial arts as self-defense, we're looking for a way to, it's not just avoid conflict, but how to skillfully help someone realize that their own aggressive impulses get them in trouble. I mean, example, someone punches you and you move out of the way as though you're saying, oh, you want to punch me? Well, I'll respect your opinion. I just won't be there where you want to punch. Yeah. So there's a certain mindset, a kind of Taoist mindset in the martial arts. But in any case, the idea of using qigong exercises to condition the body, make you more impervious to injury, make you quicker, quicker on your feet, quicker with the punch, more sensitive to the, the interpersonal situation of the martial arts. 
naturally, because of this, there were many styles of Qigong that developed just as a way of improving your martial arts, or today we would say your sports performance. I think we need to take Qigong out of the specific martial arts context, which was natural for China, yeah. and look in this country to how we can use Qigong to more greatly enjoy and improve our ability in whatever is your favorite sport. Because you can take the Qigong exercises that are used for health, that are on the, the Sounds True tapes and so forth, and you can apply those same exercises to improving your ability in volleyball. I mean, anything, any any sport you like, football. I had some famous... Uh, football? Oh, yeah. Even football? Oh, basketball. Best for basketball. One of my students was a basketball coach, and his team won a championship. I have another student, a soccer, actually girls high school soccer coach, and his team also won a state championship. Here's, here's one reason. For example, if you develop a strong posture and a feeling being rooted into the ground so that you're like a tree with deep roots, right? The deeper the foundation, the taller you can build the building. Yeah. So if you do that, and let's say in basketball, you know, somebody's, somebody's dribbling, and they have this Qigong training. Yep. Someone else comes to block them. And your body just touches them and they fall down. Referee can't call it a foul because you didn't push them. I've seen referees go like, oh my God, what's happening here? Seems like something supernatural. It's not. It's just that if you use your body more efficiently and you're more in touch with your inner strength, you improve your ability in whatever sport you're involved in. I, as I was starting to say, I had this famous... Uh, Shall I admit this on air? I don't know much about football. I don't watch football. But I had this guy who was some famous football quarterback, and everybody in the workshop was going, oh, my God, do you see who this guy is? Do you know who that is? So he was there because he was just interested in Qigong, I think mostly for health. But I asked him at one point to try to push me. Yeah. I held up my arm in front of my body like this. I said, okay, you're, you're supposed to be really good at tackling, right? Right. He said, yeah. I said, I'm just going to stand in this particular posture. Ken, I'm impressed here. And, and my yeah. arm is not, I don't have huge bulging muscles. Not, yeah. I said, push me over. He's standing there, push me. This is in front of my students. I said, come on, keep pushing. He's using all his strength. I said, you're supposed to be able to tackle me easily. Why can't you move me? He said, I've never seen anything like that. I said, because you don't know yet how to get maximum efficiency in posture and in your own power. I said, you apply these principles of Qigong so that everything is organized according to your intent. So that if you're going forwards, part of your body isn't walking backwards. If you can get that degree of what the Chinese call zheng ti jin, whole body power, not fragmented power, whole body power, so that if you push someone, your hand is expressing the pressure of your foot on the ground. The force is rising up through the leg, through the back, ends up at your hand. See, if I just go like this, there's not much strength. But if I use my whole body, there's a lot of strength. So I told this quarterback, I said, learn how to do that, and you'll have twice as much power. I said, you've got more than enough strength and power to push me over easily. I said, considering the difference in our size and your athletic training, I, you should have thrown me against the wall. The only reason that didn't happen is because part of your body is an internal conflict. And that's what we need to take care of. And then your ability in football is going to improve. So you can use Qigong to improve uh, ability in any sport. So, again, to go back to your original question, the, the streams, as I called it, that feed the river of Qigong are native Chinese shamanism, Taoism, Chinese medicine, 
and the martial arts, not necessarily, or sports, not necessarily in that particular order, but these are the the origins of Qigong, and they also, to a large extent, express why someone would study Qigong. Mm-hmm. I mean, even even the shamanic aspect, if you want to have a, a deeper communion with the spirit of nature and learn how did ancient people perceive the world, what contributed to their feeling of belonging in the universe, well, you can practice Qigong for that. Essentially, you're practicing the shamanic, you're cultivating the shamanic aspect of Qigong. Okay, so there are a lot of different streams, and it makes sense, these four main different streams. Mm -hmm. If you had to summarize the principles that they generated, the the core principles of Qigong, can you do that for us? What would be your your encapsulated summary? Yeah. Body, breath, and mind. If I had to summarize, I'd say those three things. And those three facets have been used also in the modern, most modern definitions of Qigong. Because people have been looking recently, scholars, both China and China and the West, have been trying to come up with a a good, simple definition that everybody can relate to. And so another definition, I mean, there's so many ways to define how we we cultivate the life force. So a, a definition in addition to the one I gave at the beginning of this program is Qigong is a way of tuning tuning or regulating, they're both alternate translations of the same word in Chinese, Qigong is a way of tuning the body, breath, and mind and bring them into a state of harmonious unity. Now, let's go into that just a little bit more. Basic principles of Qigong, first, pay attention to the body. That is, learn how to improve your posture, your breathing, your movements. Most people think of Qigong as ancient Chinese uh, gentle exercises. So that's the body aspect. But once your body is in order and in harmony, then automatically the breathing can slow down. You know, when we're anxious, breathing becomes shallow and quick. The average respiratory rate in the United States is about, uh, about 17 breaths per minute. When someone is even more anxious than what is considered normal in our society, the breathing rate will go up to about 20, even 22 breaths per minute. With Qigong, you can slow down your breathing within one month of practice, whether you're doing the exercises and or the meditations, you can slow down your breathing from the average of about 17 breaths per minute down to the optimal breathing rate of about three to five breaths per minute. Wow. Most people will drop down to five to seven breaths per minute within one month of training, but eventually you'll get down to between three and five. That's already a sign of greater efficiency because you know, your body's need for oxygen at the cellular level, that oxygen is the part of the energy of life. Body's need for oxygen doesn't change according to how you're breathing. You need a certain amount of oxygen to survive. If you're breathing more shallowly, then your breathing rate quickens to get the oxygen. But if your breathing is deep, and you're not interfering with the breathing process, then the breathing rate can slow down because now it might take you only 10 breaths to get as much oxygen that it took earlier, 20 breaths. See, So pay attention to the body first. Get the good posture, healthy movement. Then you start working more on the breathing. And the emphasis in Qigong breathing is, I mean, primarily, it's slowing down the breath, 
deepening the breath, learning how to breathe in a healthy way. Basically, it's belly breathing. You know, when you, when you inhale, the diaphragm drops, the belly goes out. When you exhale, the diaphragm pulls back a little bit towards the spine. So it's knowing how to breathe in a much healthier way so you have more energy, more vitality, and, and again, more joy of life. Then the last one, once your, your body is in order, your breath is slowed down, then as a side effect, the mind becomes quiet. And this is part of the brilliance of Qigong. That is, you can change the psychology by changing the physiology. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that psychology and, and learning about how our mind works or how it might be influenced by past experiences and so forth or by our, our hopes and dreams. It's not to say that that isn't important. Of course it's important. But the, the beauty of Qigong is that instead of working exclusively on the mind, that is only practicing meditation or only going to a counselor or a psychotherapist, the Qigong approach is complementary. It basically says, learn how to relax your body, learn how to relax your breath, and automatically your mind is quiet, tranquil, clear, alert. So body, breath, and mind. Okay, wonderful. Now I want to go back and underscore five to seven breaths a minute because listening to you, I'm experimenting with that. Mm -hmm. And first of all, it's not as easy as I would have thought for me to slow my breath down to that pace. But I get that it's possible. I get the mental benefits. But can you explain why this is better for me physiologically if I breathe five to seven times Mm -hmm. a minute? Sure. The internal organs have what some people call organ reserve. That is a, a kind of energetic reserve so that if you overstress yourself, for example, you stress the liver with too many contaminants with a lot of polluted air, polluted water, and so forth, then you reach a point where the liver cannot stand that level of assault, and you begin to develop problems with the liver enzymes, with detoxification, maybe greater tendency towards cancer. There's some very good research that links problems in liver enzyme activity and initiation of cancer. When you slow down your breathing, you're developing a stronger reserve and a better threshold against those kind of assaults against the human organism. In addition, quick breathing tends to create quick brain waves. That is, our minds are entrained to the rhythm of the breath. You can show this scientifically by having someone, uh, someone's brain monitored with an EEG, electroencephalograph, And you can see that as someone's breathing slows down, the quick brain waves, like how many waves hit the shore per per minute, say if you're standing uh, on on a beach, Mm -hmm. those brain waves start to slow down, so you have less waves hitting the shore per minute, which scientifically means you're in a more relaxed state in general. So slow breathing, put it simply, slow breathing, makes the mind more relaxed, less anxious, less stressful, less stress-related disease. There's also lots of very good research now that shows the effect of breathing rate on specific illnesses. For example, heart pain, angina pain, seems to be affected by breathing rate and slightly slower breathing will tend to create less pain. Uh, Headaches, someone who has headaches or migraines, when you slow down your breathing, the blood vessels tend to open and dilate a little bit. 
for certain kinds of headaches that can reduce the symptoms, reduce pain. Some headaches could even cure them. Hmm. Uh, for seizure disorders, some of the great uh, uh, neurologists and neuroscientists have shown a uh, decrease in the frequency and intensity of seizure disorders with slow breathing. And, you know, we could go uh, on and on. You can look at the footnotes in, in you know, various books, including my own book on Qigong, to find the details. I'm feeling inspired, but believe me. There, there's no question that slow breathing is one of the best things we could ever, slow with deep breathing, one of the best things we could ever do for our health. Uh, at the very least, it will reduce the amount of stress. And, well, it won't reduce stressful events. You might still have to drive in traffic. No, if you could do that, can you know. But the problem, I mean, it's become almost a cliche, but people need to hear it again. The problem is not the stressful event. It's your reaction to it. That is, it's not the bad news you just received, but the fact that, look, there, there are tragedies in everyone's life. But that doesn't mean that you have to then go into a state of being hyper-alert or sympathetic nervous system on overdrive where your blood pressure goes up, heart rate quickens, breathing quickens, any pains in your body, back pain becomes worse, and you forget how to turn that off. So that now for the next month, instead of it being you know, an immediate problem, yes, we have our emotional, some emotional reaction, we want to have our compassion, we still want to feel, we don't want to turn off the body and the mind, we still want to be sensitive. But the problem is most pe- a lot of people in our society today they're under stress, and that stress just stays with them. They're, they're worried about the economy, and they're, worried, they're physiologically worried every single minute every day. And blood pressure, heart problems, uh, we know that stress can cause other things being equal. Cancer cells will tend to develop more quickly under stress than when some person, same person doesn't have stress. Mm-hmm. So there are, are just so many reasons to slow down the breathing. It's one of the best things you could ever do for yourself, just learn how to breathe more, more quietly, more relaxed. And by the way, this does not mean, i tell you a mistake some people make when they hear about slow down the breathing. Here's yeah. what they start doing. Oh, now I'm breathing slow. No, you're breathing tense and your breathing is going to be quick because if it's slow breathing, it's silent, quiet, there's no friction. We want to get rid of internal friction. It's one of the definitions of stress. Mm-hmm. If, if Qigong can teach you how to get rid of friction where you're, as I said earlier, working at odds with yourself. I gave that image of you, part of you is walking forwards, the other yeah. part is walking backwards, or your, your blood vessels are constricted, or the bronchial passages constricted. If you could get rid of those areas of friction, of course you're going to feel more alive and have more grace and even, I would even say more dignity in everyday life. Now, one of the things that's always interesting to me is the teacher and the teaching. So the, the teaching of Qigong that you're offering here is so clear and so inspiring. And one of the things I'm curious about is in your own life, when has Qigong been there for you as a resource that you could draw on when stressful events happened, which happened, of course, to all of us? Yes. And we've known each other for a long time. And God knows, you know, the, the big waves keep coming and, and knocking yeah. us both yeah. down. So when has it been there for a resource? And when did you think, God, even Qigong can't help me now? Or did you ever reach such a oh, point? Oh, of course, we're all human beings. There, there will, of course, be times where even with all the Qigong, just speaking personally, even with all the Qigong, where I feel overly stressed, but then I go, get over it pretty quickly. Uh-huh. However, let me express the positive side. Now that you know that I am a human being, this is why I don't like this master. You know, master ideas. Yeah. Some people think, 
oh, it's the divine master and this person is not subject to any kind of stresses or sorrows or everything. They find out that, you know, some family member died. They're just going to say, oh, well, that's life, little grasshopper. We're born and we die. I don't want to live that way. I want to be sensitive and engaged. But Qigong is definitely an extraordinary help. Here I wish my daughter was sitting here with Uh us because it would be a great question to ask her. She always tells people, if God forbid there was ever a (laughs) nuclear war, she said she would want me to be around because Uh she knows that during events that would put most people into the state of panic, I tend to get very calm because I know that only if I'm in a calm, quiet state and my mind is clear and I'm used to that state from years of Qigong training, only if I'm in that quiet, calm state will I be capable of making good decisions. So can you give Otherwise, me I'll e- go out and drive and I'll have a car accident. Can, can you give me an example of how you would put yourself in such a deep, calm state in the midst of something extremely stressful, something personal? The main thing is to have a practice. I mean, if you have a, a, a Qigong practice, even if it's just like 20 minutes every, every morning, then because you are familiar with that physical, psychological, spiritual state, you can go back to it. It'll come back to you when, when needed. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, recently, I, I heard about a, uh, an old friend that had developed uh, uh, cancer and uh, was quite, quite concerned. And I think a lot of people would have gone through you know, a lot of tears and really heartache. I still feel and concerned for my friend. But my breath beat, when I heard the news, my breath became quiet. I felt that sense of strength and inner power that I get when I'm doing my standing meditation in Qigong. It's a type of meditation done from a standing posture. And I think I was able to offer some pretty good advice. Uh, another, another example. I had... Uh, uh, an infection in, in uh, my hip joint about 20, 25 years ago, actually. And it's given me some limited range of motion, some different physical handicaps. I went to see one of the best-known hip surgeons, in, really in the, in the world, about uh, three years after that infection. And he looked at my MRI, looked at my X-ray, and he said, I don't know how you could even walk. Are you in pain? I said, no. He said, looking at your x-ray, you shouldn't even be able to move your leg. I said, it's because of the qigong. I'm able to control inflammation. And even if someone has an extreme condition, such as bone on bone, I'm not saying that uh, anti-inflammatories uh, or you know, medications or surgery are out of the question. Not at all. I really do believe in complementary medicine. But if we could manage our own health better so we're not so dependent on the experts, or we could interact better with our physicians so we know what questions to ask or what complementary therapies will work best with standard Western medicine, so maybe we need less medication. Mm-hmm. You know? That's important. That's so important. And for, for me personally, if I didn't know Qigong, I'll tell you frankly, I think I'd be in a wheelchair hmm. because I had that in, infection in the, in the hip. Uh, I I got the antibiotics. I had everything Western medicine could do, but it left me with bone-on-bone uh, bone in, in uh, important areas of my body that you need for walking and, and moving and living. But I've not needed surgery, and I've been able to stay mobile and, and free of pain and 
healthy and happy. And, you know, aside from that, as I said, everybody goes through heartaches in their life for one reason or another. It's just the Buddha was right. When the Buddha said life is suffering, you know, as I get older, I realize more and more, I think it's true. I mean, that doesn't mean that's all life is. It's it's not an exclusive statement, but that's a component of life. We're we're all going to face times of, of suffering or or heartache, or sorrow, grief, regrets. It's just part of being alive. And, and I've had them. I've, I've had them for sure. Worries about myself, about family members, life changes. But I've been able to, uh, you know, I don't have, of course I don't have two of me. It's not a very scientific statement. I can't say, well, what would I have been like if I had not done Qigong? But I can say, looking at myself and looking at students of mine that have gone through their own own challenges, that Qigong is, is extraordinary. Uh, it, it gives you greater happiness, more aliveness, more appreciation for life, uh, more not just physical flexibility, but I think maybe even more important mental flexibility so that if, if there's an impediment in the river of life, you can you know, flow around it yeah. and not bash yourself against it or know when, when effort can be used to create a, a slight to create a change that's beneficial or when what's required is just sitting back and accepting and finding out what is the balance there. You know, that's, that's a, difficult, a difficult skill. I think that's part of qi gung, qi skill, is learning the skill of how to use mindfulness and awareness efficiently because sometimes an act of will is uh, really an act of obstinacy, obstinacy yeah. and you just get, you get in your own way. And sometimes an act of will is required to change things so yeah. that you have a more harmonious outcome. So if, if, if one of the benefits of Qigong is becoming less, uh, less stubborn and more flexible with uh, life's events and realizing again, as the, the Buddha taught, who I, I feel was a great sage, that uh, if we can get rid of some of our personal preoccupation and less... Uh, uh, less selfishness that we're generally a lot happier. Mm-hmm. You can also you can also learn that through qigong practice, because the the body and the mind are really one system. It, it's not. I, I know we say in conventional language, and maybe it's a necessity of, of of language that we say that the mind influences the body, and the body influences the mind. But really, we're not divided. We we look like that under the the microscope, but. We're one system, and if we can restore a kind of systemic well-being and health, then we're going to flow with life's challenges more gracefully. It's not going to, it's not going to throw us onto the ground where we can't get back up. Uh, I've I've known some, I've I've had some some students who have had some very serious uh, health problems. I mean, qigong is not a cure-all for everything. I think it pushes the, the, the odds more in your favor. You tend to stay healthier. But sometimes things happen to people that we, we don't expect, even if you're living the right way. Sometimes a person will still get the heart disease or the cancer. Mm-hmm. It, could, it could still happen. And I'm thinking of one student I had in particular, beautiful, beautiful man, who right up to the end, he maintained his composure. He, he... Uh, uh, he didn't suffer any pain till the very end of his life. He was dealing with a terrible cancer. So I, th- I think Qigong is pretty amazing stuff. Now, Ken, one of the things I know about you from your 
biography is that you were chosen as one of nine Qigong healers, energy healers of different kinds to be studied at the Menninger Clinic. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, first of all, to understand a little bit about how Qigong can be used for healing other people. I presume this was part of the study. Mm -hmm. And then what took place during the study and what they found out about you and about the other people that Mm -hmm. were studied. Now, this was not uh, Qigong teachers or practitioners or masters. It was actually looking at a group of originally 14 energy sensitives, people who were known to have some unusual, subtle energy healing ability, whether they were doing therapeutic touch or qigong or indigenous medicine, or we had one person who was doing European uh, spiritual healing. So it was to look at this group of nationally or internationally known figures and find out when they do their thing, is there something we can measure? Yeah. Because the first thing scientists are interested in is, can you measure it? Yeah, I'd like to know this too. And that particular study, they weren't even looking at whether it works in terms of healing a patient. Of course, that's important. There are other studies that demonstrate the actual healing effects Uh of Qigong or energy healing or Reiki, things of that type. But this particular experiment, which lasted 12 years, 1983 till 1995, Hmm. called Physical Fields and states of consciousness looked at and analyzed what can we measure when people who are known for exceptional healing abilities practice their respective methods. Before the experiment with the healers, the 14 healers, even began, they did 600 experiments with people who were not known for their healing ability. With, you could say, ordinary people chosen largely from um, Menninger Institute uh, staff or people that uh, were known by members of the staff. In those 600 control experiments, nothing unusual was seen. That is, when they would have someone sit in a room with copper walls and sensitive electrometers attached to the walls, remember copper is a good conductor, They didn't find any unusual electrical fields around the body. When they measured the EEG, the brain waves, or measured flow of electricity on the skin, what's called body potential, nothing unusual. Nothing unusual was expected or seen. Then they take these 14 healers, and they found that the 14 produced very unusual, easy-to-measure effects. Then there was a subgroup subset of nine most exceptional healers, I ended up being in both the group of 14 and the subset of nine. These, I feel a little funny speaking about myself, usually I do this like in third person as though I wasn't even one of the healers, but you ask the questions, I'm I'm fine talking about it. The nine healers, every single one of them, produced extraordinary surges of electricity on the skin measured with an electrode on the ear, on the earlobe, and on the ankle. That is, you take a baseline reading and you find out, is there a change in electrical flows when they practice their healing method? And all nine of the healers produced extraordinary electrical fields around the body. So you've got a subflooring of copper. You've got a copper ceiling, copper wall front and back attach the electrical meter, 
and see if when, for example, I'm doing qigong meditation, where I'm circulating the qi within my body through directed awareness and breathing, find out whether or not the copper wall in front of me or anywhere else is measuring an increase in electricity. And even from six feet distance from the body, myself and other healers were able to sometimes cause a five or even ten volt spike. That's extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Then measuring various other parameters as well, I won't go into all of them, but a significant one was the EEG, uh, the brain waves, because the healers were able to produce slow brain waves, a sign of more inner awareness and quieter state of mind, as well as brain waves that were higher in electricity. If we go back to that image of standing at the ocean side and you're at a beach and you're watching the waves hit the shore, you've got how many waves hit the shore within a given period of time. If there's a lot of wind, you've got more waves coming in more quickly. That's called the frequency. What we want in this brainwave analogy is a slower frequency. Mm -hmm. But you've also got the height of the wave. If it's a stormy sea, you've got big waves, and a big wave has more energy, it can knock you over. Right? So the brain waves, when they're high, they've got more energy, more electricity. That happens as a consequence of more of your neurons, more of the brain cells, doing the same thing at the same time. When your mind is more organized the electrical output of the brain is stronger. That was clearly seen among all nine of the healers in the Menninger Institute experiments. Then, you asked me before about healing subjects, about healing a patient or a client. There were indeed some experimental sessions in which patients were randomly chosen by Menninger Institute staff, were brought into the experiment room and either seated across from me, take myself as an example if I'm the healer, or they were in a another office in the same building and I wasn't allowed to meet them. So to look at distant healing. Mm-hmm. And again, without knowing anything about them, not even their name, nothing about their health history, their physical or mental condition, I would be asked to attempt a healing without any physical movement. Because I was being videotaped from two angles. And you know, it's easy to, to uh, in a less carefully controlled experiment, to produce false results. I mean, if I take my fingers and I rub them on a silk shirt, I can create electricity. Yeah. So this was very carefully controlled. And the, the data was analyzed and later published in peer-reviewed scientific journals by some of the best-known scientists in the United States. So... Here I'm sitting in the chair, and there's the patient. And I'm mentally intending to transmit chi to the patient. And then we look at what is happening to my brain waves, what is happening to the electrical output from my body. And they found that the moment a voice came over the loudspeaker that said, begin, automatically there'd be this output of what I would call chi, but what they're seeing as bioelectricity, as an electrical field 
that surrounds the body and increases, we presume also increases in healing effect as a result of simply tuning into that and saying, I'm going to transmit healing energy. So there were changes in electrical fields, changes in electricity on the body. Remember, measured with the electrode on the ear and the ankle. Changes in breathing rate, changes in heart electricity, the EKG. Changes in so many parameters that they were measuring and later, of course, the difficult part, analyzing to find out what is happening, what does it mean, are all of the healers producing these, this electrical, bioelectric phenomena? One of the most interesting experiments during that time at the Menninger Institute was when I was doing a distant healing. That is, I was told that there is a person who has been chosen to be my healee who is on another floor in the same building, and they asked me to tune into this person and attempt a healing. Again, what they're looking at is not whether the healing works. Mm -hmm. That's, of course, also important, but rather simply to see if something is happening and can we measure it. Yeah. Well, the moment I began, there was evidently a surge in electricity measured on these copper panels, these copper walls. And I saw in my mind's eye an individual sitting on a chair, and I saw that she was in a depressed state, psychologically depressed. And I imagined, instead of doing my usual qigong energy healing, I imagined that I had a uh, fan, like a feather fan, like turkey feather fan perhaps, and I was fanning her and trying to wave away some of the depression, some of the sorrow. A year after the experiments were over, I got a printout of the data from the experiments, because I didn't know if anything unusual was happening. They were, the scientists were measuring all this, but I wasn't allowed into the, the room where they were seeing the data. I didn't know that I was producing unusual brain waves or electricity or any of that. I was just attempting to do my healing work or do my meditations. But a year later, when I received a printout and transcript of what happened, I found out that after the experimental session, when one of the scientists came in and said, well, how was that for you? It was always the same question. Well, how was that for you? And they recorded my answer. Yeah. And I spoke about seeing someone who was depressed and I yeah. was waving the feathers. I then read that the client they had chosen, when they asked her, well, how was that for you? She said, well, I had been very sad. I came here with some depression. And it was very odd. When I sat down, after a moment or two of centering myself, I saw feathers all around my body. Mm. So there, there were these unusual coordinations between both the energetic state and sometimes the mental state or imagery of the healer and the healee. This happened a number of times, and of course not just with myself, but with other people who were there as the so-called exceptional healers. The reason I say so-called, Tammy, I should really mention this, I think, that I think everybody has these healing abilities. I'm not unusual. Even though they used, you know, in the write-ups and the reports, they said exceptional healer or an energy sensitive. These are skills sensitivities, abilities, healing abilities that I feel were entirely natural to all of our ancestors. 
Because if you're living in nature, then you discover and work with your own natural human abilities. The problem is we're out of touch with that today. Mm-hmm. And Qigong is a way of restoring that connection with nature and with your your own natural potentials that have been there all along. Well, this is one of the things I'm curious about because we've been talking about the practice of Qigong, the personal mm-hmm. practice. And then I asked you this question, well, they studied you as a Qigong mm-hmm. healer. Tell me about that. Do you feel that these healing abilities were simply the natural outgrowth of being a practitioner of Qigong and they, they just sprouted? Or is there some special gift that you have? Or did you purposefully cultivate heal, the healing ability? It's a great question, wonderful question. And it's one I've certainly thought about and, and it comes up often as people think about, about healing. Certainly a person can be born with a healing gift. And that can be good or bad because some people who have a gift of personal health or of being to help others, being able to help others, they squander those gifts because it's so natural they didn't have to earn it, they didn't have to work towards it. So they might say, well, I never get sick anyway, so I'm just going to have big fatty hamburgers for breakfast and who cares about the amount of trans fats? Those people pay the price eventually. Might not catch up with them immediately, but eventually they'll pay the price because there's only so, again, only so many assaults that the human organism can, can handle. So there are times where people nurture their gifts, other times where they use the fact that it's a gift and it's so easy for them to avoid it and do follow a different, take a different path in life. But yes, a person could have a gift. I don't think I had the healing gift. Maybe I did. You know, who, who knows for sure? But I don't think so because I, I was ill much of my childhood. And you asked me earlier about how Qigong has helped me on a personal level. I probably should have started from my childhood. I, uh, I grew up in New York City. So here's another stereotype. I didn't grow up in China. I didn't, you know, raised in the monastery in the, somewhere off in the hills. I grew up in New York City. And I was, uh, I think I was just not adapted to that environment. I, I didn't like it. Um, I didn't like the crowded conditions, the bad air, the interpersonal relations, the amount of fear and paranoia that I, I sensed as a, I think, maybe oversensitive child. And so I started becoming ill and I had uh, almost continuous bronchitis, constantly getting colds. And of course, this is 1950s where a lot of physicians, unfortunately, did not understand that you can't use antibiotics to treat a virus. So I was given antibiotics one after the next, and this is a kind of downward spiral where the more my immune system was destroyed by those antibiotics, the more sick I got and the more I would get the antibiotics. So I had a lot of health problems. I started doing Qigong when I was about 16 or 17 years mm-hmm. old, both Qigong and, and Taiji. And there was such a turnaround in my health. The bronchitis cleared up. Uh, I w- had more energy. I started getting rid of probably some of the toxins that had built up in my body just from taking so many medications. And socially, I started making a lot more friends. I was so much happier. My mother. I'm grateful both my parents are still alive. My mother used to uh, comment about how when I started those strange Chinese exercises, I seemed to become more sociable. She, mm-hmm. she saw the changes that were occurring in me. So on a physical and psychological level, the Qigong was just uh, fantastic. Now, 
get me back on track. Your circling, question. circling back to my question, it's really, if, if someone says, you know, I'm going to commit to a Qigong practice, will healing abilities naturally emerge? Yeah. So I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Because it happened for me. I, uh, I'm not sure that I had the gift. I, I re- honestly, I don't know. But I do know for sure from my own experience and having worked with you know, so many thousands of students over the years that Qigong can improve your ability to heal yourself and to be of healing help to others as a sort of energy yeah. practitioner. Yeah, is there just some sort of natural thing that happens, which is once the qi is circulating and being stored in my own being, then I can just very simply, I can raise my hands and emit? Is it that natural? Yeah, you know, I would say it is. I would say it is. There are ways of dramatically increasing your ability to transmit qi and to sense aberrations in the qi field, to sense the the signs and interpret the signs of, oh, there's too little qi over that organ. There's too much qi over that organ. Or rather than just doing an intuitive treatment, is there a specific type of energy treatment that will reduce excess or build insufficiency or sweep away pain or discomfort or remove toxins from uh, an internal organ or create less wear and tear on the body. There is within Qigong this extraordinary repertoire of healing techniques. So, you know, the answer to your question is yes and no. You can be born with a gift. You can develop qi for personal well-being and for healing others. The, the gift of healing and the ability to heal others is something natural to the human being. But you can increase that ability through practicing Qigong. And this is, this is why in some of the experiments that have been performed, mostly in China but increasingly in the West, We've seen a difference between a trained Qigong healer, let's say trying to emit Qi, to a laboratory animal that has been injected with hepatocarcinoma, let's say a, uh, a um, cancer of the liver. The laboratory animals have been injected. I don't like animal experiments, but I read the literature and, and they're done, and they do, they do prove that it's more than just placebo effect. We presume the uh, rat is not healing because the rat believes in the power and yeah. efficacy of the, the Qigong master. Yeah. Okay. So you inject the animals with the disease. The Qigong healer holds his or her hands near the animal. You see a reduction in the size of the cancer. You see a certain number of laboratory animals not even developing the cancer, even though it's been injected into their bodies. Then you have other people that have no Qigong training, I'm talking about an experiment that was done in China, imitating, doing the same movements, maybe moving the hands in a particular manner over the animal, but there's virtually no healing effect. So there's no question that, again, from not just this experiment, but many, many others, that if someone trains in Qigong or some other energy medicine modality, they can have a stronger healing effect with good training, with dedication, than someone who doesn't have the training in a a healing modality. Yeah, makes sense. That's why I say it's natural, but we can 
go back maybe to what is you know the natural abilities that we had in pre-technological culture maybe even pre-civilized where we were so in touch with and and I don't think I'm romanticizing I know some people think Oh, you just you just think everything was fine a thousand years ago. It's not that we still had diseases, we still had suffering, we still had, we were still human beings, but we had not learned to so interfere with nature. We weren't spending our times doing something that the human organism is not genetically adapted to do, and that's sit in front of computer games, or TV screens, or be sedentary all day long and not take care of the business of life, which is hunting and gathering and preparing our food and taking care of our children and and creating clothing and tanning hides and re- repairing and mending our, our living structures and so mm-hmm. forth. We're not living natural lives. And so naturally, we are not in touch with the, the chi, the life force, as our ancestors were. So we're reclaiming something that is, that is just inherent in human beings. Ken, thank you so much for being with us here. That sounds true. Thank you. This has been Insights a Insights at the Edge, a real, a real pleasure. Very so, inspiring. So great to talk with you again, Tammy. I, I feel kind of fanned just by sitting next to you. Ken Cohen, the Chi professor or teacher, the author of several Sounds True programs, including a 100-day Chi training course and a DVD on Chi healing techniques, how to use Chi to heal other people, all available at soundstrue.com. Sounds true. Many voices, one journey. Thanks, Ken. Thank you.